Hello there, Patriots fans, and welcome to Episode 6 of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great people at SB Nation. I'm Mark Schofield, happy to be with you on Saturday, October 19th, as another weekend of football awaits. Now, each Saturday, Radio Rewind will bring you the best of what the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network had to offer over the course of the previous week from all of our shows. From the flagship Pat's Pulpit Podcast with Rich Hill and Alex Shane to Patriot Nation from Pat Lane and Ryan Spagnoli, our brand new show, Pulpit Playback, and The Sco Show with yours truly. In addition, this will give us at Pat's Pulpit a chance to get you caught up with any last-minute news before the weekend gets rolling. We'll also cover some college games and even some college players to scout that should be on your radar if you're looking for something to do on Saturday. Plus, we've got some great music to bring you in and out of these shows. What you just heard there is Hope from Hedda Music, and you can check them out at HeddaMusic.com. Now, don't forget, these are just snippets of the shows you'll hear every day on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. And you can get these by subscribing to Pat's Pulpit via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Don't forget to leave reviews for us as well. Five stars, always appreciated. Let's kick it off with some injury news. And the Patriots are a little banged up as they head into a big Monday night clash with their AFC East rivals, the New York Jets. A practice on Friday, a number of players remained sidelined for the New England Patriots. Wide receiver Josh Gordon, tight end Matt Lacoste were again among those absent as preparations continued for Monday night. Ryan Izzo was also added to the report. After Thursday, he practiced fully. Apparently, it is a concussion for Izzo. Matt Lacoste is dealing with a knee injury, and Josh Gordon dealing with a knee and ankle injury. All three of those players did not participate in practice. As well, Michael Bennett remained an unlisted absence for the Patriots. He has the one-game suspension. Given the injuries and the fact that both these players did not participate, Izzo and Lacoste. New England just has two new names at the tight end spot ready to go right now. Ben Watson and Eric Tomlinson. As far as those who participated, albeit in a limited fashion, Rex Burkhead with a foot injury, Philip Dorsett with his hamstring injury, Julian Edelman with his chest injury, and Patrick Chun with his heel and chest injuries. As far as the New York Jets, they had a number of players who did not participate at practice on Friday. Running back Trenton Cannon, tight end Chris Herndon, offensive tackle Kelvin Beecham, guard Keekly Osemele. That's an interesting issue that's going on. Apparently there are allegations that the Jets are hiding the results of his MRI and sending blank MRI films to various doctors. That's an interesting situation playing out with him. Also, who did not participate for the Jets, guard Alex Lewis, defensive end Henry Anderson, linebacker Neville Hewitt, linebacker Albert McClain, McClain, excuse me, cornerback Daryl Roberts, and safety Rontez Miles. That was not injury-related for Miles. Limited participation for the Jets on Friday. Wide receiver Demarius Thomas with a hamstring, guard Brian Winters, center Ryan Khalil, Defensive tackle Steve McClendon, linebacker C.J. Mosley, although Mosley has said he's going to go on Monday night, and cornerback Nate Harrison. Those players listed as full participants for the Jets. Wide receiver Josh Bellamy, who has a shoulder injury. Tight end Ryan Griffin, who's dealing with an ankle injury. Defensive tackle Quinnen Williams, also with an ankle injury. Defensive end Terrell Basham with a heel injury. Linebacker Blake Cashman, another ankle injury. What's going on in the Jets locker room with all these ankles? 
because linebacker Jordan Jenkins also has an ankle injury. Somebody's like running around with a hockey stick or something, smacking people in the locker room. Linebacker Brandon Copeland with a thumb, cornerback Tremaine Johnson with a thigh, and safety Blake Countess with a hamstring. All those players, though, did fully participate in practice on Friday. Cashman was upgraded to full participation after he turned in a partial practice because of that ankle injury on Thursday. However, the big injury news, non-Jets related, non-Patriots related, more league related, concerns Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes went down in somewhat dramatic fashion on Thursday night in Kansas City's win over the Denver Broncos 30-6 to on Thursday night football. It looked bad. The cart came out. He said it popped out. It's out. And that, it refers to his kneecap. Now, sources out of Kansas City indicate that Mahomes, who waved off the cart and walked off the field, limped to the x-ray room at, you know, whatever they're calling it now, Invesco Field, that mile-high stadium, whatever it is, wherever the Broncos play right now. It doesn't matter. They're bad. Reports out of Kansas City are that there was no ligament damage. It was just the dislocation of the patella. In the immediate aftermath of this game, of this play, excuse me, if you were on Twitter, you saw everybody under the sun become an instant doctor. They were like suddenly... You know, 5,000 orthopedic surgeons on my Twitter timeline. I don't know about yours. And everybody was diagnosing this thing from the video. But it seems that the concern was that there would be ligament damage as a result of the dislocation. It seems that the Kansas City Chiefs have avoided the worst-case scenario and instead have a best-case scenario, which is still four to six weeks that he might be out. Now, what this means for Kansas City, here's their stretch of games. They have four straight games before their bye, which is in Week 12. They've got Green Bay at home, a Sunday night game coming up. Then they have Minnesota at home. Then they travel to Tennessee to play on the Titan, play the Titans. And then they go to Los Angeles to play the Chargers on November 18th. That's a Monday night game. Then they get their bye. Then they come back at home against the Raiders. And then the Week 14, the big one, that's pertinent to our interests here at Gillette to take on the Patriots. Now, if he's out for four to six weeks... That could put him perhaps coming back that game against Oakland after the bye or even potentially coming back if it's really on the longer side, you know, and it, it extends a little bit longer because for six weeks, that gives you, you know, out six weeks coming back against New England on the road. So obviously something there to watch Patrick Mahomes, but it does seem like he avoided the worst case scenario with some ligament damage. He's not going to miss the remainder of the season, it seems. But he's going to miss some time, and that could impact how the Chiefs fare. They turned to Matt Moore, who performed admirably. Now people will wonder if they bring somebody in or not. So we'll see how Andy Reid and company handle the Mahomes injury. As for your Saturdays, it's not the greatest slate of games. Let's just get it out there here at the outset. Your biggest game of the week, the one, the, the only one, you know, that's going to feature some top 25 teams head-to-head. Actually, there are two. There's Arizona State at Utah. At 6 p.m., that's on the Pac-12 network. Hopefully you get that. And then your primetime matchup, you get number 16, Michigan, at number 7, Penn State. There's an interesting matchup in that one from a sort of scouting perspective. And again, I cannot recommend enough, thedraftnetwork.com. Jonah Tullis has a piece up that was up on Friday about some wide receiver cornerback matchups to watch, and he's got one in this game. 
KJ Hamler, the wide receiver from Penn State, who's a fantastic talent against Lavert Hill, cornerback from Michigan, two quick twitchy type athletes. Hill's status is up in the air. He missed last week for Michigan against Illinois, so we don't know if he's going to be back, but Hamler's a fantastic talent, so you definitely want to watch that matchup. There's also in that Arizona State-Utah game, Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver from Arizona State against Jalon Johnson, a corner from Utah. That's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Games I'll be keeping an eye on, obviously, you know, given the whole quarterback thing. You get two games in the noontime hour that I'll probably watch, and you get Clemson at Louisville, Trevor Lawrence, you know, taking on Louisville in that one. And then West Virginia at number five, Oklahoma. You get some Jalen Hurts action as well. Those games kick off in the noontime hour as we get to the sort of three o'clock slate of games. Interested one of the Pac-12. Again, another top 25 matchup. So there's three games. I'll probably miss another one. You get number 12, Oregon at number 25, Washington. Justin Herbert, Jacob Eason, some Pac-12 quarterbacks getting some buzz here. Obviously, we know what Justin Herbert can do, but Jacob Eason is getting some buzz here as we get into scouting season. For those of you that aren't aware, I do some work over at Pro Football Weekly as well. I got my top six quarterbacks broken into two tiers, um, broke them down. So in tier one, you sort of have you know Tua Tagovailoa, you got Justin Herbert, and you got Joe Burrow in tier one. And in tier two, broke down some Jalen Hurts, broke down some Jake Fromm, and I broke down Jordan Love. You can check those pieces out over profootballweekly.com. So that's just a taste of the college football action this weekend. There's not a lot going on. I mean, look, Tennessee at Alabama is usually a massive game. That's 9 p.m. on ESPN. 9 p.m. That's that's not exactly you know prime time for Tennessee, Alabama. But Tennessee struggling a bit this year. So that's what we got going on from news, from notes, from injury stuff, as well as the college game. Up next, the best of what we did this week at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. That's ahead on Episode 6 of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode six of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. And we had a bit of a different week last week. Obviously, the Patriots played on Sunday down at Washington, and they had a quick turnaround hosting the New York Giants on Thursday night. So we had a lot of stuff to do in last week's installment of this show. So this week, it is a little different. And this week was also different because we debuted a new show here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. On Monday, we dropped episode one of Pulpit Playback. This is a new show where I'm going to take a look back at some memorable moments and games from the history of the New England Patriots franchise. And let's face it, with Jets week upon us, with the New England Patriots traveling to MetLife Stadium to take on the New York Jets this coming Monday night, there was only one place to start. A Thanksgiving night. In 2012, when millions of Americans sat down on their couches or went out to bars or anywhere they would watch their football games, perhaps with family or friends or whomever, and saw a moment that will transcend sports, will transcend the football game that was played out that night. We debuted Pulpit Playback with Episode 1, The Butt Fumble. Mr. Michaels and Collinsworth, take it away. Well, years ago, we talked to Tom Moore, then in Indianapolis, the offensive coordinator. You got a busted play here, and then Ennis Sanchez gets hit. The ball is loose, and it's alive. And then going into the end zone is Steve Gregory, who's had an interception, two fumble recoveries, oh and a touchdown. Gosh. Oh my! Vince Wilfork just threw Brandon Moore 
into Mark Sanchez. I have never seen this before in my life. Watch this. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. This is what Reggie White used to do to people, forklift them and just lift them off the ground. Mark Sanchez not expecting it, and it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out. Now, he may have been on the ground. Well, it's being reviewed, obviously, on two levels. Number one, it's a turnover, and number two, it's a scoring play, and Mike Carey just had it confirmed. It stands. Wow. I have seen Vince Wilford do some things that impress me from a strength standpoint, but that one just jumped to the top five. And Gostowski's extra point is good. My favorite bit of that segment is Collinsworth's immediate laugh right in the moment as he knows exactly what just transpired. But there it is, folks. You can all go home happy now. Like the crowd that finally got to belt out Africa along with the band, you've finally heard the butt fumble. And maybe, just maybe, you sang along a bit too. So there you have it, just a little bit of episode one of Pulpit Playback. We're going to do these sort of throughout the season sporadically. There won't be a regular schedule to it, but the next one you can look forward to will be in the build-up to the Baltimore Ravens game to kick off week nine, that game at Baltimore on a Sunday night. Next up this week was episode 163 of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, our flagship show here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. And in this clip... Alec and Rich talk about the sort of dichotomy between the tremendous Patriots defense, the struggle in Patriots offense, and what that might mean for this team going forward. You know, it's funny, though. I guess the good news about that is, you know, you go back and watch game film and game tape of your opponent, and you scout them for the first X number of weeks of the season leading up to the game when you play them. And as you just mentioned, I think they're going to kind of shift their defensive philosophy a bit when they get to the teams with legitimate passing and receiving threats. So once they get to that meat of their schedule, the varsity schedule, as, as you've been saying, uh, I'm not sure how much opposing defensive coordinators can really take away, or offensive coordinators, excuse me, can really take away from how the defense is playing um, because – It'll be very different, and they will do a lot more zone. They can do more man-zone combination, a lot of secondary to get the coverage sacks. Uh, should be interesting. And the good news about it is that, man, once the Patriots get up two scores, be it via a pick six or a fumble recovery or a blocked punt or just good offensive drives, the game's pretty much over. Even though the offense is struggling a little bit right now, and I think it's because of the injuries, a lot of it, but the offense isn't great. I don't want to sit here and try and put rose-colored glasses on it and say only because, you know, Philip Dorsett's hurt and Josh Gordon's knee's injured and they only had three guys and they had to do the same. But that, that's, that's fine. It's all well and good, but you can't put a shine on a turd and the, the offense of the Patriots isn't, isn't great right now. So it's pretty solid they have that defensive cushion because once they get up two scores, the game's kind of over. But that said, should we be worried about this offense or are we just kind of buying into the hype of they'll always figure it out, they'll always turn around, and come December they'll be firing on all cylinders? Uh, I, I, I don't see why you can't say a little bit of both here, where I am absolutely concerned about the current state of the Patriots offense. And by that, I mean the fact that three out of their past four weeks, they've been not good. Uh, Jets against the Jets, against the Giants, this offense has been very mediocre. Against the Bills, they were outright bad. They look good against Washington, but three out of the past four games, they've looked average or worse. So when you're looking at and evaluating this offense, absolutely, this is not a good uh, good offense from like the level that we're used to with the Josh McDaniels, Tom Brady offense. So unless things change, 
of course we should be concerned. That said, I think there's cause to believe that things will absolutely change because, uh, as you said, a lot of this is due to injury. They're really missing Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. I think that the additional growth of Ted Karras at center will help solidify that offensive line. We're already seeing a little bit more consistency out of the run game, which is enormous and huge and will really take a lot of the pressure off of Tom Brady, who has been getting sacked a lot more over the past two weeks than he was over the first four weeks of the season. And then, you know, you'll get Nikhil Harry back. Hopefully Josh Gordon will get healthy. Edelman is still recovering from his chest injury. There are a lot of, you know, Rex Burkhead in his foot. There are a lot of moving pieces. They've lost two fullbacks so far. They've been cycling in and out of their tight ends as, you know, Lacoste has been healthy and injured and healthy and injured. So the more time the Patriots have, fingers crossed, the healthier they'll be. The, the cavalry is on the way, but unless things change, there is cause for concern, but there's reason to believe that things will change. On Wednesday, we had episode 28 of the SCO Show, and I was joined by the senator, the one and only Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston. And while we talked a lot about the game, you know, both against the Giants and the upcoming game against the New York Jets, I had to ask Phil about a little promo shoot he did for NBC Sports Boston when he, the senator, was down in the D.C. area when New England took on Washington. Now, Phil, everybody knows and loves you as the senator, and you got a chance. You were down here in the D.C. area a couple weeks ago, shoot a little promo spot, taking advantage of the landscape <laughs> and the landmarks. I got a chance to check that out. What was it like putting that together? I had to ask you about it. Oh, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, it was exactly what it looked like. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, it, it's one of these things where we want to, Mark, be able to establish that we are in town, uh, we're there the day before the game. We're working. We're trying to, to give our viewers, because these pieces that we've done, and Tom Carn was the star of one that we did earlier in the year down in Miami, um, these end up running on our pregame show. And it's just something lighthearted that we want to mix in there to the show to, to maybe give the, the viewers a little bit of a chuckle and so. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I went to college down in D.C. I love the area. Great to get to go around, walk around, see the monuments, try not to uh, get arrested by Capitol Police right. for, for videotaping um, on, on government property. But um, it was a blast. And I would say maybe the best part of the whole deal was my wife happened to be in town for work herself that weekend, and she came with us for the shoot. She doesn't hardly ever... Uh, get to see me at work and, and doing the, the ridiculous things that I do on occasion uh, at my job. And so the best part of it was the fact that she was there with us for that entire ordeal and the secondhand embarrassment that she was experiencing for having to be with me in that scenario where I'm basically sprawled out uh, on, the, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial or out in front of the Capitol and winking at the camera and finger gunning left and right. The, the secondhand embarrassment that she had to go through that day was just phenomenal, and that made my week. Now, on Thursday of this week, we had two shows for you here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. Up first, episode 164 of the flagship show, and in this clip, Alec and Rich talk about what the Jets did against Dallas and whether they could possibly replicate that on Monday night against the Patriots. And speaking of having an edge or divisional opponent, the Patriots are playing the Jets on Monday night. Their Monday night football matchup. I feel like the NFL uh, figured this would be a 
better, t- more evenly matched game in terms of record by this point. Uh, otherwise, I probably would have a Patriots Bills here. They could have 20-20 hindsight. But that said, Sam Darnold is back. The Jets are coming off a pretty solid win uh, over the Dallas Cowboys, 24 to 22. Sam Darnold threw for 328 yards, 338 yards, excuse me, two touchdowns, engineered a win. So I don't know if this game's going to be as lopsided as it was in their first meeting with Luke Falk under center. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it'll be that bad either. I think that this is a different Jets team with Darnold under center. I still don't think they are a good Jets team, though. So even though they are playing host in primetime, I'll give my predictions later, but I still don't think that this is a a strong Jets team. But the way that I look at it, and maybe we can start doing uh, some of the matchups here, is that when I look at this Jets offense coming against this Patriots defense, yeah, Darnold is a good player. He doesn't turn the ball over as much as the other quarterbacks. He is harder to tackle. Um, and he's like a solid player. But there's only so much talent on this Jets team. You know, Le'Veon Bell is the heart of their offense. He's responsible for like roughly a third of their entire offensive production. Then they have three wide receivers. You have Jameson Crowder in the slot, Robbie Anderson, a big outside receiver. And then uh, old friend Demarius Thomas has been warming up as of late. But I just see a team that when I match them up against this Patriots defense, I don't see any way for the, this Jets offense to win. So, Rich, what did the Jets do against the Cowboys that was so successful? Was it more the Cowboys kind of poop in the bed, or were the Jets able to manipulate the matchups or find a hole in the defense? How did the Jets score 24 against Dallas? Yeah, well, the, the Jets were fortunate enough. They had a really nice play. You don't want to take it away from them. Uh, Sam Darnold had a beautiful deep throw to Robbie Anderson, who scored on a 92-yard play. So, big kudos to them. That is definitely worth noting. Um but then they also were able to rely on Le'Veon Bell a little bit. So if they, if the Patriots are going to try and stop this uh, New York Jets offense, they have to make sure that Bell is not going to be super productive. Uh, he only had 50 yards and a touchdown on the day. He also only added in one reception for three yards. But really, his presence uh, really drew a lot of the attention of this Dallas Cowboys defense, and that opened up options for everyone else down the field. So the Patriots need to be able to contain Le'Veon Bell, just like they did in the previous matchup, make sure that he can't bust out for these huge yardage plays, and then they have to win the rest of their matchups in ways that the the Cowboys simply weren't able to do. The, the, the Cowboys secondary was not able to defend these uh, Jets wide receivers and simply put the, the Patriots secondary is just much more talented and I, I just don't see uh, the, the Jets being able to replicate that success they had passing the ball uh, against the Patriots. And also on Thursday we had episode 29 of the SCO show and I was joined by Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report and the Stick to Football podcast and we broke down some college stuff, some Jets pats and Connor introduced us to Sailgaden at the University of Washington. Uh, it was great. I was doing a, a different kind of shoot for Bleacher Report, partnering with Wendy's. I was out uh, sailgating at Washington University. What a unique experience it is out there. I was glad I got to go out to a Pac-12 game early this year. I'm going to one in November as well for Cal Stanford, but I really wanted to see Washington and USC. A lot of prospects in that game, especially Washington's DBs, their offensive line, their quarterback, Jacob Eason. But the sailgating experience was its own animal before the game. Uh, basically, Wendy's created a barge 
on the water for people to pull up their boats and get Wendy's. And they had, you know, spicy nuggets, burgers, Frosties, and Bleacher Report was just out there. We're actually out there with Dante Pettis, who was just a man. It was a great time, and his football team's undefeated right now at the 49ers, so you know he's in a great mood. Uh, it was an awesome time, and Wendy's is fun to partner with. You know, we're always doing wacky stuff at Bleacher Report, yeah. and we're not talking about football. So one of the more unusual pregames I've ever had, but still, listen, Sco, when you when you go on a scouting trip and the boat can drop you off at the stadium, That's it's hard to amazing. complain about anything. Then we closed out the week with episode 49 of the Patriot Nation podcast, and in this clip... You'll hear Pat dive into Bill Belichick, the general manager, and looking towards the future as Patriots fans and as an organization. And now, so the only thing, now, we talk about Belichick, and I just want to kind of wrap up our Belichick conversation. He's obviously done a great job in the last few years, clearly, right? That's That, that should go without saying. You see the guys he brings in. But here's the concern, okay? Here's the concern. The concern is he's missed on a lot of draft picks, right? You have Juwan Bentley. And you have Dietrich Wise, and maybe you have Isaiah Wynn, and maybe you have Sony Michelle, and you know maybe you have Chase Winovich, and maybe there's some guys that you know that contribute from this draft as well. But you know, it's an old, old team. It, the Patriots are an old team, and the defense is pretty old. Now there are some young guys like Jonathan Jones and like J.C. Jackson, but you know for the most part, this is a little bit of an older team. And if you're not drafting those young guys to come in and replace them, it's going to be awfully difficult to hold this together for more than a few more years. So although Belichick has been great in the last few years, as he always is, right? And I say always is as like, you know, I know he's had a few down years here and there, maybe 2011, you could talk about 2006. If you, you know, if you really split in hairs about things and you don't like that team. But I think that, you know, even though they're, he's done a great job and they are still obviously in my opinion, the best team, you know, in the league, certainly the best defense, in the league, the young guys have to replace these guys and they're not coming through the draft. And so they've had some guys in, in, in undrafted free agency, which is great, but you have to hit on more guys in the draft. If you're going to be consistently good for a long period of time, which obviously they want to do. I mean, and and he could even like he could continue to do this, right? I mean, just stockpile picks and go out and get guys. And but I mean, it, the secret's out. Basically, I know it's uh, right. I know it's tough, but um, we've learned for two decades now to never never doubt this guy. So I'm um, I'm I'm let's focus on the now. They're frigging loaded, and uh, yeah. let let's keep it going. But but I mean, we talked about it. The, the last three years have. Um, really, really, his his moves have created Dynasty 2.0. Right, it's true, it's true, and so it's uh, you know, it's a lot. And you can you can go all the way back to 2014 with Revis and Browner, and you know, and kind of changing the way the defensive play has played, and and you know, and it's going to continue on from there. And and I know that you know he has a vision in mind. And you talk about, I think 2017 isn't fair to judge him on because you know they lost the first round pick, but also I'm sorry, they lost the first round pick. Yeah, in 2017, right? But I think the big thing for that, or maybe it was 2017 that was the first round pick. Either way, um, you know, I look at it and I just say, you know, he's not, he obviously didn't like that draft. He had, the, he, he could have drafted and he decided against it. And so I think that, you know, for me, he didn't like the draft. He traded out of it. And so you say, okay, that's a judgment call by him. But still, you know, 
I'm looking for those young guys to come in and replace, and I don't know where they're coming from. And so that's my concern long-term. Right now, I'm not worried. I mean, he's killed it long-term. But, you know, Gilmore's up there. McCordy's are up there. Harmon is up there. Collins is 30. Hightower's up there. So it's like, you know, and that's the thing. Like, So all these guys are great players, but they're in their 30s now. And so it's like, yeah, it might be 30 or 31, but even still in the next few years, they're going to start to decline in the next few years. They're not all going to be Tom Brady and play to 42. And so that's, you know, or 45 or whatever, whatever Brady hey, plays until. But, you know, that's. So, but, you know, but anyways, but like you said, that's long term. I know we'll focus on this year, but as Patriots fans, I feel like we should always be looking towards the future, even though we're looking at the present. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way I approach it at least. So. so there you have it, folks. Just a taste of what we did this week of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network from the debut of Pulpit Playback all the way through episode 49 of the Patriot Nation Podcast. So that will do it for today. The next time you hear from any of us is probably in the wake of Monday night when the Jets and the Patriots square off on Monday night football. Until next time, friends, remember, from the Patriots players to the coaches to the front office and, yes, even the hosts of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, there are no days off.